0: Amen. Thank you so much to the choir. What a beautiful song that is. May Jesus keep us near his cross. If you would turn with me today to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to continue our study in this book continue our theme of being a vessel of honor. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and I'm going to read verses 24 through 26. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2:24, 2, and the servant of the Lord must not strive But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Father, we pray that you would help us to be vessels of honor as we go through this passage. Teach us what we need to know, but we also ask that you would empower us to put these principles into practice, because without your power and grace, we can do nothing. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give, first of all, a reminder of what Paul is doing in this letter. He's writing a letter to his young protege, Timothy, and he is urging total devotion to Christ. It's the song that we just heard, Jesus, keep us near the cross, keep us totally devoted to you. He goes on to instruct Timothy to pass on the teachings that he received from Paul to other men. He did this in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what we're doing at this time. We are passing on the apostolic truth that all of us are responsible for. Timothy is then to remind his people of the centrality of the gospel and their duty to endure in the faith chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 they must handle the truth the word of god correctly in chapter 2 verse 15 they should avoid getting entangled in disputes that are at best pointless and at worst deny the truth of the gospel In chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul then uses the illustration of vessels in a household. We would say containers to demonstrate that some bring honor to the Lord and some bring disgrace. So he now turns his attention to how Timothy should deal with those who are vessels of dishonor. But His instru- instructions can be applied to all of us in our dealings with one another. I want this to be clear from the beginning, because these are called pastoral epistles, but they can be applied to every believer. And the instructions in this chapter can be applied not only to how we deal with false teachers, and we must deal with false teaching. But the principles can also help us as we relate to one another. And here is the great lesson that we find throughout this passage. And that is, we must demonstrate the heart of a servant in dealing with others. Verse 24 says, the servant of the Lord. There are men in the Old Testament who have carried that title And I would say that in a very general sense, those of us who know Christ as Savior are to be servants of the Lord. Serving Him is our highest calling. And so this morning, I want to look at how we do that. How can we be vessels of honor in dealing with others? Well, number one, number one. When we encounter conflict, we act with kindness and not with contention. The Bible says that the servant of the Lord must not strive. What does that mean? Well, he must not be quarrelsome or combative. Now, this especially applies to a pastor, but I believe that it applies to every child of God. We should not be people who love combat. And I'm not talking about necessarily physical combat, hopefully not. But sometimes we get into combat with others in, with words, what we say. Or maybe it's even just a look. Maybe it's with our body language. But we are not to be combative as God's people. Always loving to fight against others in order to get our own way, to fulfill our selfish ambition. Now, this is the instruction of the Lord to us. The servant of the Lord must not have this impulse that he is always in a battle with others. Now, it is true we are in a spiritual warfare There is a time when we must contend for the faith. But there's a difference in that. And then, on the other hand, being the type of person who is always quick to take offense, who is always ready to strike out at others. Now, Brother Brian Lloyd went over many of these principles in the Sunday school lesson. And if you haven't been coming to Sunday school, I invite you to do so. It was a great lesson this morning. And we've had other good lessons. There is so much to learn in this regard. But the servant of the Lord, very, very clearly, must not be a quarrelsome or a combative person. Now, at the same time, as one commentator says, the servant of the Lord need not be a jellyfish. In fact, if you're a spiritual leader, it is dangerous not to have a spine. Because there are some things where you need to be strong on and you need to be firm. And that is especially true when we're talking about biblical truth. We must stand firm for the truth. So I don't want to be misunderstood here. And we talked about this last week. There are some battles that we have to fight. The difference here that Paul is really underlining is... We don't have to love it. We don't have to relish it. These are things that must be done because we live in a fallen world. And we do live in a a world where not everyone is going to follow the truth of the Bible. So that is part of being a pure and clean vessel of honor. That is taking on false teaching and making sure that it does not go unchallenged. We cannot do that as a church. We cannot allow false teaching in our midst. We must confront it, and we must deal properly with it. But being a vessel of honor also includes the manner in which we do it, the manner in which we seek purity. Because the way that you do something can make all the difference. You can be mean and spiteful in service of the truth, and in the end, you can do a lot more harm than good. Let God do His work. As Spurgeon said, God's truth is like a lion. And God can take care of Himself. God does not need our help. He does not need a, especially our selfishness to get involved, our fleshliness, our sinful nature to get involved, because what happens is that we can make things worse, even as we seek purity and even as we seek the truth. There was a 2022 article from the Wall Street Journal about a 51-year-old owner of a popular restaurant in India, and it was called Moonraker's, pretty good name. He, the owner competes fiercely for customers, so fiercely, in fact, that fists have flown. But his chief foes are his own flesh and blood. You see, his older brother operates a seafood restaurant called Moonwalkers right across the street. Now, does that sound familiar in an ecclesiastical context? Just down the same lane, his younger brother runs a restaurant. It's a seafood restaurant called Moon Rocks. The menus are nearly identical. Now at one time, there was only one restaurant, and all three brothers got along fine. In fact, they would even sit down and have family meals together. But then something changed. There was conflict. It was never repaired. And one of the brothers said, when money comes, love goes away. How tragic. A couple of times in 2020, two of the brothers brawled with each other in the street, right in front of befuddled customers. Sometimes it's like a street fight, one brother said. People say, this is a complicated family. We just came to eat. It's all proving baffling to tourists who frequently are stopped on the street by two of the brothers who are giving pitches for their rival restaurants. One resident said she wanted to eat at the original Moonraker's, but was bewildered by the competing eateries. On a more serious note, I wonder what unsaved people think at times. When they see conflict and contention in our churches, people fighting over things that are of no eternal value. Now, that's how how I'm applying this principle here. Again, I know that there are things that are worth fighting over. There are times when you even have to separate yourself from those who are teaching falsely because it, it comes to the point of no return where you can't regain a church's purity. I know that there are times like that where you have to take action, but there are also times when we react in fleshly ways with selfish contention, and I strongly believe this, that the way that we act affects the eternal destiny of others. It can affect how someone views God, how people view His church. that's a warning to all of us. It's a warning to those of us who always like to draw the line even when it's not worth fighting for, when the issues are small, when we take something minor and we, we try to make it into something major and we do much damage to the cause of Christ. This is a serious warning for all of us, and it's the apostolic instruction. This is how we are to take care of these types of matters. We can always be kind to people. That's not something that has always gone on in our circles. You don't have to write nasty letters or emails to people. No, you don't have to get on Facebook and carry on contentious dialogues that don't really... End anywhere but more bitterness. Let me implore you as God's people avoid these things. Avoid these things. Make sure that we are not people who love the fight, who love the war, so much that we destroy the ground on which we're fighting. It's even more important because we're dealing with the souls of men. We have to be very careful how we fight for truth, the manner in which we do it. Number two, we must demonstrate patience in instructing others. So not only must we act with kindness, number one, but we must demonstrate patience. Is this easy for you? It's not always easy for me. But the Bible says in verse 24 that... The servant of the Lord is to be apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, or in other words, those that oppose the truth. So first of all, the servant of the Lord must be apt to teach, and this is especially talking about a spiritual leader, a bishop or a pastor. The term in this context calls for both the ability and the willingness to teach. Greg Allison says this, a good servant of Jesus Christ is one who is trained in the words of the faith and good doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, six. So you have been trained in the truth. You also follow the pattern of sound words that you have learned. You guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. So the idea here is that you're not only following these things in word, but also in deed, also in your attitudes. Moving on, you must hold firm to the faithful, trustworthy word as taught, that you may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to convince or to rebuke those who would try to contradict the truth. All of these things a pastor must do, or a a spiritual leader. But then, he must also be patient. So yes, there's an aptness to teach, there's an ability to teach, but there's also a willingness to teach. And I want you to hone in on this word, patient, Because this applies to all of us, not just to pastors. But this is a quality that all of us as God's people should seek. The Greek word for patient here means to bear evil without resentment. That's not an easy thing. It's easy to love others when they speak well of you. But how about when they oppose you? Is it easy then? It's very, very hard not to get emotional. It's very, very hard not to respond in kind. But that's what the Word is calling for. This is, puts all of us under a, a great duty. And it's something that we can only fulfill by God's power. Because as human beings, what we do is we respond in kind. If someone treats us in a certain way, then... We feel justified in striking back. But as a servant of God, we can't do that. We don't retaliate, we don't escalate the situation. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words do what? They stir up anger, they only make things worse. And sometimes it's not the things that you say, but it's how you're saying it. Or it's also the manner in which you say it. You can say things in a very condescending tone, a very patronizing tone, because you're angry and you're looking for any little way to get in a jab at someone else. Do you see how difficult this is? To take self out of the equation... So you may try to to make things right with others, and in the process, your attitude is not right. You may be saying the right things. So, for instance, we have a, a great book that we're going through in Sunday school, Peacemaker by Ken Sand, that we've already talked about. And Brother Brian Lloyd brought up this point. It's not enough just to have knowledge. A lot of people have that, but they don't apply it in the right way. You see you can say different you can say the right things but you can do it in the wrong way. What this calls for though is an attitude of selflessness where we place things in the hands of God. It is bearing evil without resentment. So what Paul is saying here is that We have to be patient in guiding others to the truth. It's a process. William Barclay says this there may be greater sins than touchiness, but there is none which does greater damage in the Christian church. It's very easy to be touchy, isn't it? To be easily offended. Many of us can be quick to take offense and slow to forgive. And we forget that we're guiding others to the truth. And when you're dealing with those who are unsaved and with those who are teaching things that are falsely, souls are involved. It's not just about winning the argument. But what are we doing to bring that other person to Christ? So it's not all about winning the Facebook argument. But it's about guiding that person to the Lord Jesus Christ in the end. And that's why in verse 25, he uses this term instructing. Verse 25, in meekness or in gentleness, instructing others. Now, of course, you don't want to say this when you're dealing with an interpersonal conflict, you are going to come off condescending. If you were to say something, okay, let me instruct you or let me teach you. That's not the right way to do things, but essentially that's what you're doing. And here's what instructing means. It means to assist in the development of a person's ability to make appropriate choices. You are dealing with a person who is not making good choices. They're not making choices that are based upon biblical truth. And so you are trying to guide them in the right way. The reason why this is so important is that if you'll go up just a a few verses here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you'll see in verse 23, chapter 2 verse 23, that there are Foolish and unlearned questions. And that word unlearned is related to that same root for instruction. What it means is that this person is not being instructed in the right way. Spiritually, he does not know what he's talking about. Verse 23. And so what you are doing is you are guiding him in the right way. And you are doing it in the right way, with the right manner. For those of you who have had teachers, and that's all of us, we all know that with a good teacher, it's the way they do things, not just the material that they're dispensing. I had uh, a teacher in, in college, and he was my precalculus teacher. Now, math has never been my subject. I guess that's one of the reasons why I married a math person. She can take care of all of that for me, so I don't have to worry about it. I was a history and political science major, and here I was taking pre-calculus. And I took it with this guy, and he, he was brilliant. He really was, but I couldn't understand him and he didn't really go over the material very well in class because what he would say is this he would say you know he'd start writing a problem on the board and he'd say oh that's too simple for you guys you know and then he would just kind of run through the answer well it was simple for him and then he would get off on a story he always talked about his house plants he loved his house plants he loved his graphing calculator he loved computer programming. He talked about everything else but pre-calculus. Now I would go home every night. I was a diligent student at that time. I had buckled down by that time. And I would go home and I would do about two hours of homework, not really understanding what I was doing. But I did it anyway. I did that the whole year. I got a thirteen on the final exam. I'm not sure how you get 13. He probably was, gra- was gracious, by the you know just for writing my name and the date, I got 13 percentage points. And uh, I had perfect attendance. And so he said, I'll give you a D. Well, it didn't really help me very much because you had to have a C to transfer. But I remember the next time I took it, because it, it had to transfer. I had this woman who had taught math in high school, and she even put a smiley face on her papers. And she said, I taught high or she said, I taught junior high in high school, and I would put the smiley face, and then I started teaching college, and I was grading papers one day, and I just put the smiley face on there. And I said, Oh, whoops, well, I won't do that again. But then some of the students say said, why didn't I get a smiley face on my paper? So some of the college students wanted it on their paper. And so she did it ever since, whenever anybody got an a name, And she would go over those problems very, very patiently and kindly. She was never condescending. She had an attitude, just a, a, a gem of an attitude. You knew that she wanted to help you. It was all about the student getting the material. I actually got an A in the class at the end, And I understood it, and I've forgotten it all since then. <laughs> but I understood math, advanced math for the first time in my life. I guess you would call it advanced, I don't know. But um, it was all about her manner and her attitude. She was teaching the same material. I remember the textbooks we had. They they cost about $150. You know, a huge answer manual that had everything mapped out along with the textbook. It was the exact same material, but it was the way that she did it. And many times it is the manner in which we address these things that makes all of the difference. Leaders are to correct and give guidance in a spirit of meekness, gentleness, to those who oppose them. We are to do so with kindness. We are to do so with manners. And I think some of that is missing in our society today. But one person has addressed or has defined meekness as the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It is gentleness. It involves humility. It involves courtesy, consideration of others, graciousness. These are the things that ought to characterize a Christian, even as we hold firm for the truth. My friend, don't let others push your buttons. Don't be drawn into that conflict where you retaliate and render evil for evil. That's exactly what the devil wants, and he can do much harm to us in that regard. Number three, we must trust in God's power to change hearts. I cannot change anyone. It is God who brings people to the truth. And this is a great statement in Scripture that teaches this principle. Perhaps, Paul says in verse 25, and that's what the word peradventure means, verse 25, perhaps, perhaps God will change their hearts and they'll come to learn learn the truth. Now, Paul is not saying that this is by accident because nothing happens by accident with God. But what he's saying is that if this happens, it comes because of the working of God in the heart The phrase, that they may recover themselves, could be put in this way, that they would come to their senses. The word often meant sobering up after a person had been drinking. Now, of course, it's talking about spiritual soberness, waking up spiritually to the truth and the reality of what is going on. My friends, that's salvation. When I was 20 years old, that's what happened to me. I was going along my merry way trying to make life as I knew it. But then the Lord awakened me to spiritual realities that there is a life beyond this life, and that my sin is not just against others, and it's not just something that harms me, but my sin is rebellion against my Creator. And one day I must stand before Him, and I must give an account to Him. Now let me ask you today, everyone in this room, have you come to confront that reality? That one day you're going to have to give an account to God, who is your Creator. Have you come face to face with that truth, and then... If you come face to face with the truth that I am a sinner and there is nothing I can do to save myself, there is no amount of ritual, there is no amount of good works, nothing that I can do to gain my own salvation. I must put my trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Have you done that this morning? My friend, that is the greatest reality of all, and one that we must face because nothing else matters unless that reality has been faced. Paul says, perhaps God will do a work in their hearts. Perhaps He will change them. They will regain their spiritual senses, and they will escape from the devil's trap. You could not have convinced me at 20 years old, before I was saved, that I was in the snare of the devil. I thought I was doing my own thing. I thought I was my own master. I thought of Christianity, in in modern terms, as the oppressor. And so on and so forth. But then I awoke to the truth, and that, that is that I was in spiritual darkness that I was in the snare of the devil. I was a slave to sin. I was not free. And that's when I gave my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I asked Him for forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 4.3 underlines this reality. This is true for everyone who doesn't know Christ. And... With kindness and compassion, if you're not saved here today, this this characterizes you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.3, "...but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, to those who don't know Jesus as Savior, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not." lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It's a very cloudy day today. Very thick clouds. But guess what? The sun is still there. It's still shining just as brightly as ever. But what has happened? Well, the clouds are in the sky and they block the sunlight from getting to us but it doesn't change the fact that the sun is still there. You see, what Paul is saying here is that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is shining, but the God of this world, who is Satan, is blinding the minds of those who are lost. He is putting obstacles between them and the truth. And God has enlisted us, those of us who have been delivered from the darkness, He has enlisted us in this great task where He uses us as He removes those obstacles. And all of a sudden, the light shines. Have you ever seen that on a cloudy day? Suddenly, the light breaks through the clouds. It's a great illustration of what happened to me When God removed those barriers, and He did it by the preaching of the Word, I was at a revival service. We had an evangelist preaching the services that that week, and God removed those obstacles. You see, it it was not my intellectual apprehension of the gospel. Yes, you can make arguments for the gospel and, and for the Word of God, and that's good, God can use those, but ultimately, He's going to be the one who removes the obstacles. Because we are in spiritual darkness, and only God can remove that darkness. My friend, there are people who are blinded today by all kinds of of sin. Some people are blinded by religion itself. Some people think that they're all right, that they're going to heaven because they've grown up in church all of their lives and so forth. But it is God who shines the light of the gospel to the heart. Let me ask you this question. Have you awakened to that reality? Has there been a time in your life when you have accepted the truth, when you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I want to leave you with this. The servant of God must put God and others before himself. It may be that we will have a part in seeing others come to Christ. And who is our great example in this? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. The author of Hebrews tells Hebrew Christians who were being persecuted at the time, not unto blood, but he says this, For consider him or consider Christ that endured such contradiction or opposition of sinners against himself. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Some of you are opposed by family. You have family members that don't understand what you're involved in. Maybe you encounter this opposition at work People don't understand why you talk about the Bible. They don't understand why you talk about Christ. It's impossible not to feel the opposition from our culture, from from every corner of it, especially in this day and time. And when that happens, who do you consider? Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the opposition of sinners. He went to the cross and purchased eternal redemption for us. He is our great example, but He's more than that. He's the Son of God, and He's the one who empowers us to do this. My friend, I want to encourage you today, if you're lost, please come and accept Christ as your personal Savior. If God awakens you to that truth, Please, don't wait a moment longer. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't worry about what others are going to say. This is about you and your eternal destiny. It doesn't matter what others think about this. What matters is that you come and make this most important decision of all. There are people here who would be overjoyed to see you come to Christ. And then for those of us who do know Christ, how do we treat others? When we have to do things like this, when we have to deal with sin, do we do it in the right way? Do we do it with kindness and compassion as our Savior did? May God give us grace to do that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the grace that you give us to be obedient to it. We pray for one in this room, or many, who are struggling with various things in their lives. Perhaps some are lost without you. And perhaps there are others who are Christians, and they have had to endure opposition. Lord, maybe there are some of us who need to be encouraged, Lord, with the way that we treat one another. You know the needs upon each one of our hearts. We pray that your spirit would convict. We pray that he would change hearts. Help us to be more conformed to the image of your son. In his name we pray, amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Is there anyone here today, if you would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure, I am not certain where I would go if I died at this moment. If you were to die right now, and you were to appear outside the gates of heaven, and the voice would come and say, What right do you have to enter into my heaven? Would you have an answer? Would you say only by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? My trust is in Him and in His righteousness. If you can't say that today, would you raise your hand? I promise I won't embarrass you. And no one is looking around. But I do want to pray for you. Because this is the most important decision that you can ever make. Is there someone here who would say, I do not know Jesus as Savior. And all I'm doing is requesting prayer because this is a monumental decision that I need to make. Anyone like that today? If the Lord has laid this upon your heart, please come to us after the service. and We can tell you from the scriptures how to be saved. May the Lord bless you.